You're listening to a Roddenberry podcast. The Trek Files, Season 9, Episode 22, Star Trek Ride, Paramount Park's Draft Presentation, Circa 1994. Welcome to The Trek Files, a look into the archives of Roddenberry Entertainment from the personal files of Gene Roddenberry. And now your host, Dr. Trek, Larry Nemechek. Oh boy, Star Trek fans. Hey, all you Star Trek historians. Look, fans of any stripe, you tech heads are going to love this. I know you canonistas. Hey, if you were um, an active Star Trek fan in the aughts, in the 2000s, or if you've only heard about it since then, this is the 25th anniversary of the opening of Star Trek The Experience, the hallowed uh, exhibit, the live action feature. I say it showed the world. Take that live Millennium Falcon at Disneyland. We had it in the aughts and the 90s, late 90s even. We're going to be all about Star Trek The Experience today with with our guest who was central to it. And look, you know we always have documents. They're always there every week. That's what The Trek Files is, the only podcast with homework. This week, we're going to have a visual feature. Let me do that again. And this week we have not documents, but artwork, storyboards. It's a visual feature. And so, no audio sample. We're going to plunge right in, but I do want you to make sure you take a look at, at these wonderful storyboards. They're rare. I don't think these have been out anywhere before. They are about the experience, but they're about the Star Trek, the experience that you've never really seen before. Take a look. Facebook.com slash The Trek Files. There they are. There's nothing to read. Let's get right to it because I have such a special guest. The guy who was at the apex of all of this. One of the, well, the driving edge for what became the experience. It is Gary Goddard of the Gary Goddard Group today with us, who then was president of Landmark, who, if you're up on your experience history, was the actual contractor, the builder, the conceptualizer, the whole ball of wax for all of this. Gary, it is so great. We've we've passed in the night over the years and probably said hello back in the day, but I'm so glad to have you on the Trek Files today. I'm glad to be here too. This was a pleasant surprise. (laughs) Well, I was going through the files we've pulled out to do shows with, and I came across these storyboards, and I hope everyone's following along with us by now and looking, found these boards, and I'm thinking they look like, they're marked from Paramount Parks, which was the old in-house division when Paramount, yes. you know, pre, pre-Viacom divorce days, for one thing, was the yes. combined Paramount Corporation, and they had their own parks division that owned uh, Carowinds and owned Great America and had actual parks they owned, just like Six Flags and Disney and all the rest, and they're the ones that germinated this idea eventually, but I'd never seen their names. And these boards, they looked vaguely familiar, but nothing. So I thought, what is this? So I took a chance, got in touch with you, and you knew right immediately what they were. What are these we're looking at? Those were the storyboards that preceded Landmark's involvement, our involvement. They were the storyboard that was used. Uh, I guess you have to go back one step. This happened because the president and CEO of the Hilton at the time, which is located a block or two off of the main strip, which means they Mm -hmm. have to find other ways to bring people. He wanted an attraction and he was a lifelong diehard Star Trek fan. So actually he called Paramount Parks and said, I'd like to have a Star Trek attraction and I'm willing, the hotel is willing to pay for it. Well, that got their attention, you know, so (laughs) uh, they uh, created a concept and that was the concept they pitched. And based upon that, 
uh, Hilton and Paramount uh, made made a deal subject to Rick Berman and the state, you know, there's all those things have to happen for the, and I don't think Rick was crazy about the concept, uh, but he did see the wisdom if something could be done with the right quality, uh, that it could be good. And, but, it, but, you know, it had to be done at the right quality. The president of Hilton was committed to that because being a Star Trek fan, he's, you know, he didn't want to mm-hmm. create something, some crazy bad low budgeted thing right so all those stars were aligning over here we at landmark had just finished doing star quest in uh at the korean expo which was a massive dome simulator with spacecraft in it that were a lot of these kind of things and so and we'd done that we had from and this was where this was in korea at the taejong uh-huh. expo I think 1993. So we're already into the era of the big international global high-tech well, experience type parks. Right? Well, yeah, this we were pushing the limit at that point. Uh, we had we uh, IMAX had attempted to do a simulator, and we 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 kind of picked up from where they left off and and took that to the next level. And as part of their concept uh, at the Paramount Parks, they wanted to do what we had done there. That was one of the reasons they came to us. The other reason was they basically said, "Look." We're a roller coaster company, you know. We we theme roller coasters. We've never done these complex attractions. You guys have, so we Paramount Parks would like you to come on and kind of take this on mm-hmm. and and see it through. And uh, so we got into a discussion with it. I look at the concept, and uh, I wound up having a conversation with Rick Berman and a few others. I can't remember who the other ones were. And I said, I think we can take this idea and make it work. I think there's a way that we can do this. I said, I don't think the beam up thing works like this. And I explained why that's a two-way mirror gag. And that's really entertaining for the person in the queue who gets to watch their, you know, girlfriend or parent or child beam up. But then what? I mean, basically all would have happened to the people in the experience. They would have walked into an enclosed chamber. We have a two-way piece of glass and they would beam up, but then they would just be let out of a a box, basically, no effect to the actual person in the experience. And I told Paramount Parks, I said, that's, that's not going to work. That's entertaining for the people in the queue. Right. But when they actually get in there, nothing happens. The There's no experience in the experience. It's all, you're performing. All the, experience is the light would change. The, and someone would say, step this way now, you're on board. <laughs> you know, I think everyone would, what was that? Well, those who were lucky enough, and you just covered so much ground right there. Those who were lucky enough to visit the experience will always remember the train and took one of the rides, especially the Klingon side eventually, but uh, will always remember that. It was always amazing. And even after three or four or five times, you loved it. And you're even looking around trying to, in the dark, trying to visualize how it's like a magician, trying to figure out how a magician does this That's what I would say. I was, because all my... All my peers at the time were like, how did you do that? Because even people in the industry could not figure it out. It's one of them said, it's a turntable, right? I said, you know how fast that turntable would have to spin? <laughs> Nobody would be on their feet. <laughs> you know? and, These are your industry peers, you said. Yeah, couldn't industry figure it out. No, it, it, was, yeah. it was the greatest magic trick because if you actually analyze it, and you know me, I'm a student of magic and I'm a student of theme parks and films and I'm everything. So it's all in my head. I'm not an expert at any of my rely on experts, but I have a general mm-hmm. knowledge of, of, of these things. And I knew misdirection was going to be a big part of that. And uh, so when we when we first signed on, I said to everyone involved, including Mr. Berman, I said, we have to come up with a way to beam people up that absolutely blows them away because then we have them. Mm-hmm. They're into it now, you know, so mm-hmm. 
So I got with my guys, uh, with David Thornton and Mark Thomas, uh, kind of our tech guys, and I said, okay, guys, what would happen if we were really, and we had the benefit of just having done the project in Korea. And when we were when we were doing our studies for the simulator, we brought in the guy that NASA uses to train the astronauts on their simulators for weightless flight and for other kinds of flight. And he's the one who told us that, you know, most people when they program this way, uh, and the film's going that way, they program with it, but the body doesn't do that. When you turn this way in a car, your body is actually trying to keep you straight. So right. you're actually, you actually, when you're programming, you you think you should program with the move, and sometimes you do for effect, but most of the time you program away from it so that you do what the the body naturally would do. And so we had all this understanding of of, of how all that part of it was going to work, and uh, when we came back to the the beam up thing, it was like, okay. Oh, the important part of that is what he told us was, and this is very interesting for all of you out there, whenever you enter a room, small room, big room, church, uh, you know, business building, a lobby, whatever, small cafes, your peripheral vision is what tells you everything. You don't think about it, but when you walk into a room, whatever room you're in right now, you know where the roof is, you know where the walls are, you know where the floor is, you, you, you have an understanding of your space, not because you look at it, because your peripheral vision establishes all that. So when we got to the uh, talking in the room, I remember the day in the st- I got everyone in the room, I said, okay, guys, what would happen if you were beamed up? Basically, let's say we were in this room, and this was a beam up room. We'd, we'd get beamed up, the beams would come on, and in what, in three seconds, four seconds, when the beams come out, mm-hmm. everything has changed. I reminded him about the peripheral vision. I said, what that guy told us is, so how do we change the ceiling height, the wall, the volume of space, and the floor, everything has to change for this to work. And it has to change. It can't just be like a projection. Oh, the, the walls have changed. No, this, everything has to change. All of our relationships. So when, when, it, when the lights come back on, when, we, when we're beamed up, our peripheral vision says, what just happened, right? Mm-hmm. Then on top of that, so that people, as we start, so that was the first part. And the guys, how are we going to do that? I said, well, you guys have to figure that out. But we, blah, 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 blah. I said, the other thing is, it's like a good magic trick. When that happens, we have to already have the ship in in in, in war gear. The red lights are going bob bob bob, and there's someone going, mm-hmm. "Hey, come right this way, come right this way." So there's not even time to think about it. And then later, when we when we started figuring it all out, we, and they started figuring out how we were going to do this this impossible task, then then the real I think the real clincher was this is the magic trick part. I said, "Why don't we do a really stupid theme parky thing?" Just the way it would be. Let's mm-hmm. let everyone will like it. It's a really sophisticated idea. We want everybody in that room thinking they're in this room, and the little things come on, and they see the line where you line up for the simulator, and you see the simulator, not a projection, a physical simulator, just like the Star Tours. Right. And everyone has to be thinking, "Oh God, I just paid all this much, and I'm going to get on. I'm going to get on a little simulator, thing, right?" We want everybody thinking that, and and then the little videos. That you're in a ticket queue line, about to get on a ride. Yeah, you've quotes. gone through yeah. the whole the whole queue to the future, and now they yeah. put you in a room with and and that and the queue to the future that that started out as an afterthought. We thought, well, how do we make this really entertaining? Well, what about it's the it's the history of the future and how? And then someone said, "What if it's from when NASA?" Comes, become Starfleet, and we did the whole thing, right? So, so that was a great kind of cue, right? Yeah, no, no, no. This is this is the the most awesome thing. I'm just I'm just thinking about. For one thing, we should say this was not your first rodeo. No, there was the initial, and a lot of people have become familiar with this amazing story of 
again bringing down bringing traffic to downtown vegas oh my god and the that's whole a, idea it's a saga in itself but the that's whole thing a of the huge story enterprise shaped hotel no no downtown. no the starship enterprise yes built full scale that yes. yes would be a hotel but the whole idea was we're going to build it we're going to build the real thing right and even though a ship like that has to be built in space because of all kinds of issues we said no no we're still going to build it and even if we have to have like supports as if it's in dock we'll do it but we were engineering it we were figuring it all out but that is that's that's another story because <laughs> you know the short story is what no one understands what that project is it was brilliant because it didn't cost paramount a dime it came about because downtown had a competition and they were looking for a project and they they sent the spec sheet out to anyone who wanted to to enter it and it basically had a list like this. Whatever is built has to be so compelling, it will bring people to downtown. Whatever is built has to be so compelling that upon announcement, it will make worldwide publicity. When this thing opens, it has to blah, 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 blah. They didn't care if it made money. They did not care because all the hotels were going to pay for it. And they were prepared to spend up to 60 or $80 million because the hotels needed to get people down there. People so, to downtown versus off the street. Right. Yeah, right, because, the old downtown. because in, the, in the old downtown, that was the place, and the Strip had trouble getting people, but by now, the Strip had pulled everybody. They and had downtown lost, was dying, right. 80% of their numbers had gone to the Strip. That's how bad right. it was. And they needed to get them back with something compelling. And I said, we have a concept that is more compelling. Not only will it meet all of your goals, when this thing, when we announce it, it will get worldwide publicity. When we break ground, it will get worldwide publicity. When it opens, it will, and then... Every Star Trek convention will be here. Every there'll be sci-fi convention. This will be the place, and this will become one of the great wonders of the world, like with the Statue of Liberty, man-made wonders of the world, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. And everyone got it. And then Paramount was it going to what's it going to cost? Is I'm going to have the good news for you? It's not going to cost Paramount one dime. You don't have to invest one money, any money. And the hotel people, they don't care if it makes money. If they get their money back, that's great. But if not, what they want are the people. So. This and is it goes problem. all the way up the ladder until the then president goes to Sherry out. Lansing. She's the VP. She gets it. The yep. licensing people, they were salivating. License division, they were going to get, I think, three and a half million dollars up front, you know, at, once we started. And then they got payments every year plus percentage of the box office. So this was a no lose proposition. Apparently. One guy shot that One down. guy, Stanley Jaffe, producer of a bunch of mega bombs at, at Paramount <laughs> before they dumped him. And uh, but the guy who did keep Star Trek six alive, have to say, yeah, OK, you give him that. ironically. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And but he was gone within a year or two. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He was there just long enough to screw this up. So coming back up to the play to get. So that's a whole amazing story in itself. Yeah. Uh, that's the the idea, plus the idea that it went all the way in the 11th hour, the meeting, the last man and all that work and time and investment and negotiation. Yeah. And he nixes it. So the comeback trail is everybody is, I guess they're left hungry. The salivating is still going on for a Vegas idea. I think what happened, there's no way to know. I think the guy at the Hilton, who was a big Star Trek fan, saw the press on that. Mm -hmm. And I think it started with, well, what about doing something like that here? Although he didn't have the property to build the whole enterprise. That, that we had it right. now. There was, a, there was a perfect location for it. Uh, but I think that may have initiated the call to Paramount. And then Paramount came up with something they felt they could do that would be more like a ride. And, and that's, I think, how it, I, I think that is the tra kind of trajectory of what happened. Right. And what we should say here is too, because 
the thing that's interesting, anybody looking at these storyboards, if you were lucky enough to ex visit the experience, or if you've even seen the video, and we should say that the experience was, you were talking about the transporter and the ride and your, your gyrations there. That was the ride. There was also Corks, the restaurant, there was the promenade shops, the museum. What was in that basic it. concept was the idea of a beam up to the ship, the idea of at that time, once you beamed up, you were just part of a battle that was going on. You were yeah, then right. you would this land. is talking about the Paramount that we've got some of the Paramount here. one. So the yeah. basic beats, the idea of beam up and the battle or something that happens on the ship, and then the landing, uh, they wanted you to beam again, by the way. There were, if you look at those storyboards, you're supposed to beam down again, but you never do the same trick twice. You know, you you don't do mm -hmm. that. So so and I, we didn't think it would matter. The ship would come back, you'd be where you landed, you'd get out, and then you'd just arrive at Deep Space Nine and you'd be fine. Right. And it worked. No one ever, no one ever came out of there going, why are we here? You know, everyone, it was like, you know, but yeah. So I think, I think what we did is we took those basic beats and, and we said, okay, if we're going to beam them up, how do we do it? And I was the, I wasn't the guy who created all the engineering. A lot of, a lot of Luke Mayrand and Mark mm -hmm. Thomas and the guys at PRG. And there's a lot of smart people that had to figure this out. Ah, one funny story. This is, uh, though I had to go out to Las Vegas because now I want to, I want to feel the effect. I want to see how it works. And they have it all mocked up in plywood and stuff with that, all on pulleys and counterweights, all done by hand, right? But all the moving pieces, the roof that moves in, the walls that fly out, the walls that fly in, everything is there. And uh, so I get there, they get in this center, and they go, you ready? Okay, we're going to do it. And three, two, one, and the lights change, and boom, and everything changes, and it's fantastic. And as I... As the lights go out in that three or four seconds, uh, it was about six seconds. It was a little longer than six seconds. Uh, you feel this rush of wind, you know, because the walls are going up Remember so fast. Remember that, yeah. Tons, right? And the guy says to me, don't worry about that wind thing. We're going to figure out how to get rid of that. I said, well, first of all, I Ooh. think that's just science. I don't think you can. That is a massive weight going up in the air. Secondly, it makes you... It's great. It's People a tactile feeling. It's amazing. Exactly. I said, we're not getting rid of that, even if you could, which I don't think you can, you know? And uh, so the whoosh of air feeling was totally unplanned. It was just the that was unplanned, the but my guys wanted to get rid of it. And I was like, uh-uh, guys, that, that's great. Right? That is amazing. So, so we, we, we did that. And, and I think Rick, when we took Rick through that, he loved that. I said, you know, we've gone from a two-way glass effect that would have been, mm -hmm. blah, blah, right? I mean, there's no way, I said, there's no way we can do that. It, first of all, people have seen a thousand versions of that and it's just not, not cool, you know? Well, these boards, these boards from Paramount are amazing because they show what they thought they could do. And of course, once you, once, whatever it is, you break through, now you've got the resources, the whole studio. It's like, what do you need? Nobody is saying, well, you're going to have to pay extra. For, it's like, it's a, it's a partner deal. But the idea that they're, I don't want to say they're limited creativity, <laughs> but their first take on this, it's funny how you, you do still dump out into the gift. You come back to DS9 yeah. in this version and you come out on the promenade. So there's, there's your standard. We leave you at the gift shop. But this, this idea about how they have the dining is and the video game arcade is, yeah, I, you know, everything that you all brought to it and, and initiated um, for, for what, if you weren't there live, you could see online and see the photos. Uh, is well, amazing. Well, we, we, what I personally would try to do when we did T23D, when we did Star Trek, the Spider-Man ride, all these things that we do, I said, we have to make, this is the challenge we have in our industry. You have to make a ride that is as authentic as you can be to the spirit of the movie or whatever mm -hmm. you're based on. 
And you have to make it at a level that anyone who comes onto it and doesn't know anything about Star Trek or T2 or anything, you have to have enough of the story in the pre-show or the cure, or whatever, that they can be brought into it in a way that they're just not there whole thing. We go, what is this, right? Then you got to lay over some Easter eggs and some other things that shows uh, fans who really know these things. Oh, okay, well, whoever did this, they get us, they get this. You know, this is not stupid. And right. I think my role in that was to make sure that whatever we did wasn't stupid. And of course, Rick Berman's role. And Rick did us a favor because when he said, you know, I want my screenwriters to do the mm -hmm. film part and, the, and to work with you guys. And, and so that made all the difference. And they were young guys that worked with us. They didn't come in and go, hey, you know, this is how we do it. They would ask questions. Okay, so this is going to be live and then this is going to be this. And okay, yeah. So we're getting ready. We're all the way down there. We're going to cast. And I go to, to Paramount Parks with a budget, and I say, we, we need two weeks of all the people we cast to go through training with Dale Dye. You know who Dale Dye is? Dale Dye is one of the military consultants that he consulted. I, had him, I brought him in on Terminator 2, had the same argument with Universe. They're like, why are we going to train these kids? You know, to, to, I said, because in Terminator, all those the Linda character and the kid, kid, they know how to handle guns. They know how to, what the Terminators, they know how to use these weapons. Mm -hmm. They know they're military trained. Star Trek, you're not going to believe this. So Paramount Parks, I said, we need, we're going to put these kids in training for like for eight days. And I, well, why are we doing that? I said, well, so they'll have military training. Star Trek's not military. I said, what do you mean it's not military? Admiral, Captain, you know, no, it is. Those are all trained soldiers. No, they're not in a combat role, but they're all trained, you know, and they, and they have their bearing. Yeah, yeah. And that's why when the thing opened, it got a little sloppy towards the last few years, I think. But when that thing opened, I'm not too sloppy. If anyone's out there, I'm, it's not a dig, okay? Everyone did a good job. I know everyone's. I know those people were committed, but boy, that first year or two, coming right out of Dale Dye's thing, those you would have believed every person on that ship that was wardrobe mm -hmm. that they were military personnel. They had the look, they had the bearing, they stood the right way, they marched the right way. It, it was is what you'd expect. But that kind of detail didn't even occur to Paramount Parks. It didn't occur to anyone. It didn't, you know, and those those are the kind of details that you have to do. Otherwise, you got a teenager in a in a Star Trek uniform that you know standing there like a teenager. This is not that's not going to play, you know. Well, I think I think detail was the word of the day with everything about the experience. So that's why I want to come back and talk even more about it. But thank you, thanks so much, Gary. Thank you for kicking, helping us kick off what I guess is the 25th anniversary year yeah. for the experience. Yeah. Uh, although, as I say, there was plenty before that opening and plenty to come. By the way, have you guys seen the Elvis movie? Have you seen Elvis? Uh, have you heard? Yes. yes. It's a fly-in shot. And right there, Star Trek The Experience on the marquee of the Hilton. It's right there. I couldn't believe it. I went to see the movie. I had no idea. I'm like, hey. The uh, the uh, timeline is a little loosey-goosey. Yeah, but, yeah uh, a loosey-goosey. Yep, but yeah. it's there. <laughs> so, Gary, you can come back and join us again. Yeah, sure. Happy to. Okay, uh, because this is far too big a saga to squeeze into one of our episodes. I really a, look forward to that. It was a very uh, it was a very fertile time. Landmark, we were doing Jurassic Park the ride, the Spider-Man 3D ride, a couple other things at, Islands, at uh, Universal uh, Florida. We were doing Star Trek The Experience, Caesar's Magical Empire with Milt Larson of the Magic Castle. And we were, I think, we were inventing immersive mm -hmm. entertainment before anyone called it that. Well, you know, Star Trek is famous for doing things before we have the buzzword term for it. So yep. you're you're right in there. So I'm gonna I'm gonna hold you to that. We're gonna have you back. Yep. 
<laughs> no problem. Okay. okay. And everybody, yes, The Trek Files is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment and all of our documents, including the artwork, and your chance to comment, of course, are available at facebook.com slash The Trek Files. Now, for more deep diving of Star Trek behind the scenes, all the scenes, <laughs> visit Dr. Trek and Portal 47. Uh, that That's me, yes, at LarryNimichek.com. And hey, that's where you can link in for all the new Trek Files swag and shirts at our Tee Public shop, too. Trek well, everybody. This is a Roddenberry podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.rottenberry.com.